0: Good morning everyone. It's wonderful to be with you today. Thank you so much worship team. So great to be ushered into presence of God. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited for the word this morning. And it's a privilege to be with you today. You can all take your seats. Thank you. And it's a privilege to be with those of you that have joined us online this morning. And it's funny to say this, but I'm concluding the focus on all in And I really hope that it's going to be our heartbeat, that we'll continue to have that community focus, that all in mentality, that we're all in this together, right? Amen. And we've had some great preaching this month. I've really enjoyed Pastor Julia started us off at the beginning of the month talking about the treasure in the field and the pearl. I've got a pearl on in remembrance of that awesome word of how important we are to God. We're that pearl to him. Pastor Don talked to us about the importance of being people of the word of God and we can't, we can't just run past that. We've got to be pe- people of the word and Pastor John talked to us about this two sons and he gave us some awesome keys for not getting lost. And I think it's just so important there's been all these threads coming through in the worship in the words that have come out from people in the preaching And it's just been pointing to the season that we're in. And I really believe in my heart that this is, we're not waiting for it. We're in a revival season, right? And God is equipping us. He's preparing us to go out there and to bring in the harvest. We've got to be ready. That's why we're all in. We're all in this together. We're doing it together. So today we're sticking with the parables. And as Pastor John said to us last week, the parables are simple stories that illustrate Spiritual truths, and while that's true, they were also written originally to a people that lived 2,000 years ago, in a different part of the world with a different culture, with a different world view. So things that meant something to them might not need necessarily mean the same to us. Now we can look into the Bible, and there are some truths that are age-old that we don't need to worry about. When we read them, they mean what they mean. So we look at the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, do not murder. Well, you kind of get the picture. Do not murder is do not murder. But sometimes when we read the Word of God, there are things that we think, oh, that seems a little bit strange. It's a cultural nuance because it was originally written to a different people. So we've got to weigh that up when we're reading the Word of God. And we need to ask ourselves a few questions. Who was it written to? And you'll remember Pastor Shane says this a lot. Who was it written to? And what would it have meant to them? And when we do that, it's like Jesus says, he or she who has ears, let them hear. And when we do that and we think a little bit about the context, it really sharpens our hearing so that we can dig deeper into what Jesus is saying to us. So with all that in mind, we're going to come into the word of God, the source of our life, the source of our hope, the source of our truth. And we're going to read, we're going back to Luke 15 into one of my favorite parables. And we're starting Luke 15, verse 1 into 7, and it's going to come up on the screen for you now as well. Ready? So now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered round to hear him. This is Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. May God bless the reading of his word. So who was this written to? It was written to these guys. If I could have that slide up, please. Not these guys. These guys. It is to you guys, but firstly, it's... Jesus is talking to these guys these guys are the Pharisees they're the teachers of the law and they weren't all bad guys we read about people like Nicodemus like Jesus of Arimathea Joseph of Arimathea who were people after God but for the most part these people were Jesus' adversaries they were his challengers they undermined him they sought to stop his mission And if we want to find out about these guys, we need to go back, back, back to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah or the Pentateuch, and it tells us a story about a people who were set apart by God for himself. And as his special people, they, um, in return for the um, protection and the blessing that the relationship with a mighty God brought them, they had to follow some behaviours Some rules, some laws, in order to be able to come into the presence of a holy God, right? Now, this is where the Pharisees were at, but the problem with them is they took these measures to the extreme. And um, particularly when it came to the rules around eating. You see, when the Pharisees were eating with someone, They had all these washing rituals, they had utensils that they needed to use, stoneware that they needed to use, and specific food that they ate. And when they did that, they did that to the exclusion of others. So it came to the point that they could only eat with other Pharisees, or else they would become unclean. And if you were unclean, you couldn't enter the presence of God. So when they see this guy, Jesus, and you've got to remember, Jesus was a Jew, he was born in Israel. He was a Jewish man. And he, pre- he preached and taught in the synagogues, which means that he's a teacher of the law. And the Pharisees look at Jesus, and here's this guy that's supposed to be following their rules, and he's not doing it. He's eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, the lowest of the law, and he's making himself unclean. So they're angry at him. And in them. Um, Verse 2 It says this, they muttered. And the Hebrew word there, it means they grumbled a lot and they muttered. And I think of it like dastardly and muddly. <laughs> they're angry at Jesus and they're undermining him because here he is teaching the word of God and he's polluting himself. He's not in the right. Okay, so this is the picture that you're getting, right? He's in the wrong. See, the Pharisees were struggling with an age-old problem that had plagued Israel from the beginning of their election. So they were God's chosen people. And the problem with that is that they had missed the point because the whole point of the law and all these commandments was to come into a relationship with the living God, right? Right? And it was about wholehearted love for God and care and concern for other people, right? But they've missed it. They've missed the point. They were people that were more concerned about themselves, about ritual, and not religion. Okay? If we could have that up, please. So... When they'd got so focused on the ritual, they'd missed the point. They weren't weren't interested in a community based on social justice. They were basing their whole religious experience on ritual and not relationship. You see, when we focus on ritual and doing it in a certain way, it breeds exclusivity. And when we're exclusive and we're not including others and we're seeing this is the way to do it, the way they do it is wrong and it starts breeding judgment. And when we're judging, we're not showing kindness, right? So this is the hole that the Pharisees have dug themselves into. They're not showing kindness to people. So Jesus is speaking to them, these mutterers, and the whole of the next uh, chapter is written about this. It's Jesus' response to their grumbling, okay? So he tells them this parable. Suppose one of you, this is verse 4, has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So this is a rhetorical question. Doesn't he go after the lost sheep? Yes, of course he does. Because any of you that have been farmers will know that sheep have a tendency to go astray. If we could have that. Amount. Now. I'm a Highland lass, I'm from the Highlands of Scotland and I find that I was living in this croft cottage on the shores of Loch Ness and I would come home from work and time and time again there was a sheep in my garden in the ditch with its head in the fence looking at me. <laughs> time and time again you see sheep have this strange tendency to get lost. They do. So the Pharisees, when Jesus is saying this parable, would he go after the lost sheep? Yes, yes, he would, because they do this. They get themselves in the most awful holes. They need the farmer to come and rescue them. Um, And there's a few things that I got from this verse. So I was thinking a hundred sheep. Well, it seems like quite a lot of sheep. And there's a theologian called Kenneth Bailey and he has lived in the Middle East and studied the cultures of the um, rural peoples. And though some things have changed as time's moved on, there are actually a lot of the things that the people do that are consistent with generations and generations before them. So we can get a glimpse into what the, the Bible meant to them and the world around Jesus' time. And he says that most families would have Maybe 5 to 15 animals. Remember, their wealth is based in their animals, not in money. Okay, So 5 to 15 animals. The fact there's 100 sheep here points to a very rich man. And if it was a rich man, he probably wouldn't be looking after the, she- the sheep himself. Shepherding was quite a lowly position. I like to think of it as this. We're talking about a family here. A big family group, the Fanau. And all their sheep have been brought together... And the low members of the family, the Davids, who went and looked after the sheep, the youngest boy, the Rachels, the shepherdess, it's the youngest and the lower status family members that are looking after the sheep. Now, why is this important? The shepherd's not just responsible f- to the sheep for himself, he's responsible to his family. It's they, their whole livelihood is based on these flocks. So it's important for them. The other thing to think about is this. They're not Bedouin people, so they're not moving around with the flocks through the wilderness all the time. They're based in a village like Nazareth, where Jesus was from, in the whole country of Galilee. And in the daytime, they go out, take the flocks with them, and they they graze. And then at nighttime, they take them back to the protection of the town. So that's the picture we've got. At the end of the day, it's coming up to nightfall. They're counting the sheep to make sure they've got all of them. And there's one missing. Ah, There's a sheep missing. What should we do? And I've thought about this time and time again because the next bit's a little bit strange. There is 99 sheep there. And yet, the shepherd leaves the 99 and we sang about this this morning he leaves that 99 to go after the one but wait there's 99 sheep here what about them and you see Bailey has shed some light on this as well now if there's a hundred sheep and remember I've just said it's the livelihood of the whole family based here there would never have been just one shepherd there would have been two or three so we've got two or three shepherds with the flock over here, the 99, and we have the shepherd that's going out. Now, this is the reckless love of God. It's not that he is forfeiting the 99 and going away from them to leave them to whatever devices. He is he is actually, can we have the slide up here, the next one please? He has actually left them protected and the whole reckless love of God is that he is risking himself. He is moving away from the fellowship of the shepherds and the flock that he's in and he is risking himself. You see, we're very safe here in New Zealand, aren't we? We don't really worry too much about going out for a walk at night. We're safe. But if you were in Israel back then, there are bears. There are lions. So if you're going to go out at night, there is a real chance you could get eaten. There are bandits out there and he is recklessly stepping out of the protection of his, the shepherds and the family base he's in to go out at nighttime. He is risking his life. It's gonna cost him, it's dangerous and yet he recklessly goes out in search of the one. This is a picture and this is the picture He doesn't give up. He goes out after that one sheep until he finds it. And, you know, it made me think about myself and my own life. You see, it's easy for you to look at me now and see God's restored woman, Dr. Lucy. Charmed life. Silver spoon, maybe? She's from Scotland, probably had a great life. Actually, it was quite the opposite. You see... I was brought up in a household that was not a Christian household. My mother was an alcoholic. She was a single parent mom and she did her best, but life was really hard. We had very little money and she struggled and she struggled and she struggled. So she hit the bottle to try and give her something, some solace, some love, some care, something she was looking for. And for us as youngsters, it meant that life was full of fear Because I didn't know when she was going to go on her next binge. And I tried to be the best that I could be, the best version. Don't set her off. Don't set her off. Don't do that, brothers. Don't do that. We don't want her to start drinking again because the horrors came with the drinking. And it was like walking on eggshells. But you know what? The shepherd was searching for me. All that time, the 27 years, he was searching for me. He was seeking after me. Because he cared for me. And I remember, I went to school. And my school, like most schools in the time, was a Christian school. It was set up next to a church. All schools used to be like that. And in the morning, we would say the Lord's Prayer. Reverend Bob on a Wednesday would give us a Bible story. So there was a connection. I knew that there was a God. But you know what? That God hated me. Because my home life showed me that there wasn't a caring God. There was a a God that, that didn't care about me. So things went on in my teenage years. I went off the rails. Um, We're on camera, so I'm not going to say much about that, apart from the fact that I sought the wrong things in the wrong places with the wrong people. And when you haven't been cared for in the way that you should have been cared for, you often can end up being self-destructive, shall we say. So I didn't value myself. Nobody else valued me, so why should I? So I did things that could cause me harm regularly. It was not a great time, but God was seeking me. This is going to really sound terrible, but there was this girl at school. Her name was Anne. She was a Christian, and she used to come, and this is secondary school. She used to come with her Bible, and I was not a nice person. <laughs> Look at her. We ridiculed this poor girl, ridiculed her, ridiculed and ridiculed her. And you know What? It was because deep down I could see there was something different about Anne. She had the security, and she didn't care the names I called her. She didn't care. She stood there and she said, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) And it made me so angry. How could she be so confident? I was a cool kid, you know. Who do you think you are? But I wanted what she had. I wanted that confidence and assurance. God was seeking me. And so it went on and on and on. Mum actually got saved when I was 16. Can you believe that? Her health got really bad with the alcoholism and she gave her life to the Lord. One day, this uh, the people from church used to come to pick her up to take her to church. I'd be like <sighs> And one day this guy came, walked in the door, looked at me and he was like, What are you doing? And he was really like this tall. I mean, you don't have to be too much taller than me for me to be like this. But this guy walks in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, who are you? He said, lady, come on, you come into church. Now, he was huge. There was no way I was arguing with him. So off I go. And it was an Elam church. Now, remember, my experience of church had been like a Church of Scotland, which is kind of like a traditional Anglican. And we'd all sit there quietly, you know? I walk in the door, and I was like, oh. There's all these Nigerian and Ghanaian people, and they have these beautiful colors, and they're, hallelujah! And they're dancing about, and I was like, oh my goodness. And they spoke about this Jesus, and they celebrated this Jesus, and I thought, he didn't like me. But you see, I thought, if I believed in him, that's all you need. That's all you need to be a Christian. So off I went, my and um, my my own merry way. And my own merry way led me to this. I ended up engaged to a guy that I didn't really love. But because he loved me and he wanted to marry me, you just take it because you're not worth very much when you've had that bringing I've had. So because he like, okay, we'll go for it. And you know, it's so stupid. I look back and I see myself in this park. We'd had that huge fight. The sky went gray. And I sat there and I I heard what I now know was the voice of God and he said to me, Lucy, this is not your path. I've got better things for you and I sort of shook it off and just went back and a while later I had a terrible accident and I ripped the muscles off my spine. Ouch, it took a long time to get better And thankfully at the time, mom wasn't drinking. She was going to church and she really had, alcohol was a huge struggle. It eventually took her life. Um, It was a huge struggle for her, but she was sober. And she said to my brother, Pete, go and get Lucy and thank God for brothers. He came and he got me. I couldn't move my head. I was almost paralyzed at the time. He came and got me, took me home. So at the time I found out my partner was having an affair. So I lost my home, I lost my partner, I lost my job, couldn't work, I lost my health. I was a broken mess, completely broken mess. And mum said, Lucy, the only thing that can help you is Jesus. And I was kind of like, oh. I was too weak to argue. So went to church and on that day the pastor stood at the front and he said, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are not nothing, you are everything to him. And I felt something in my heart stir and acknowledge it. And I felt God say to me, Lucy, if you accept me, if you go my way, then I will restore you and everything will be restored to you. And I felt my being say, okay, yeah. And you know, from that day, everything changed. Everything changed. Next slide, please, Jamie. The shepherd does not give up. He doesn't give up until he completes the task. He was knocking and knocking, and I had many opportunities to go this way. I chose to go this way, but he was still seeking. He did not give up. And as I've been praying and praying this week over this message, I've felt there's a lady here, and you're just desperate that your boy is just not going the way, and you're just feeling just at the last tether. And you know what? If God can save and redeem me, he can redeem your boy. He wants to and he will keep searching after your son. He doesn't give up. The Holy Spirit is knocking on the doors of our hearts. And the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts that are saved. But out there, he is no respecter of man. He is knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and waiting for the day that that lost sheep turns. Verse 5, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And what a beautiful picture this is. I mean, oftentimes we we get this picture of this tiny, cute little lamb. Again, if, if you're a country lass like me, you'll know that lambs don't stay cute for very long. They get big. Can we have this next picture up, please, Jamie? They get big. If it's been out lost, it's probably fallen in a hole. It's probably covered in its own muck. It's stinky. And yet, he picks it up. He picks it up with joy. He doesn't mind the stench. He reaches down. He lifts it up and holds it close to him. And there's this beautiful picture. You can read it in Deuteronomy 30. And it speaks about, if you return to me then I'll return to you. The Hebrew there, the, the Hebrew there is shavot, And it's this picture of return, a return. See, I was going this way and I heard the shepherd's voice and I finally did this. And it's a picture of repentance because I've changed my direction and I'm coming back to the shepherd. And the shepherd lifts up that sheep and he takes joy and it's stench and it's muck, and he places it on his shoulder to take it home. Now, remember, he's in the hill country, he's in the wilderness. He's got to walk quite a way to take that heavy, stinking sheep home, and yet he has joy. He has joy, and it reminds me of this. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. You see, Jesus is talking about himself here. He's talking about how soon he will bear the burden of all sin, of all that stinking mess of sin, and yet he takes joy. It says he takes joy set before him. He endured the cross. Why? Because he's pleasing his father. Remember I said the sheep's the family group? He's pleasing and doing his father's work, and he looks through time, and he sees you. He sees you, Vicki. And he thinks, I have joy because I'm accomplishing my father's work. And I will restore this beautiful woman to me. And he thinks that of all of you. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Do you know what, when the shepherd found the sheep, and I was thinking about this, he doesn't go like this, Yes, stupid sheep, what are you doing? You've got yourself in a hole. He doesn't do this, he doesn't, does he? He doesn't point out the obvious that this stinking stupid sheep has got itself in problems. We have the next one up, Jamie. You see, sometimes, and come on, we're all human and we can all get into that Pharisee exclusivity thing, you know, with the chosen ones, and we can see the sin. We can see sin because it's different to what God's told us to do. But you know what? God says put away the judging stick, put it away. Be the measuring stick. And what I mean by that is people see you. They see your life. They see who you are. And your job on earth is to reflect the image of a holy God. And when the shepherd picks up that sheep, he does it with love. He shows love and kindness. Now, we don't condone sin, but we don't need to point it out. Because can I tell you something? When I was lost, I knew I was lost. I was ashamed. I was filthy. I was... Deeply sorry for the choices that I'd made. I didn't need anybody to point it out because I knew. And I tell you out there, there's two and a quarter million people in New Zealand, according to the 2018 census, that need Jesus, that have said they have no religion. But do you know what? That's two and a quarter million opportunities for you to help a lost sheep get home. That's two and a quarter opportunities for rejoicing that the lost have come home we've got to go if your experience of christianity is coming and putting your bum on the seat on a sunday morning i'm sorry but you've missed it just like the pharisees it's about out there it's about the joy in restoring a sheep to the fold next one please and restoration is a journey after salvation. You see, I gave my life to Jesus. I turned and said, okay. And as he carried me home, he began to restore me, to change me. He healed me in my back. He healed my emotions. He taught me what it was to live and all that time I'd been cramming myself with drinks and drugs and sex and wealth and all these things to try and fill this hole inside me, this void inside me, but there was only one person that could fill that void. I didn't know what I was lost from, but I knew I was lost. And the minute that he came in, I felt this peace and this love and this joy and this difference in my life. Restoration's a journey. We've got to help people on that. It's a beautiful thing. Shova Shavot. Return a return. And the community rejoices over lost sheep. And this is my last point, if we could pop this up. Heaven rejoices when the lost comes back to him. The kingdom of heaven, you hear Jesus a lot speaking about the kingdom of heaven, is like this, and it's like this, and it's like this. To to summarize that for you, the kingdom of heaven is attitudes and behaviors that reflect God's image of love here on earth. This is what we're called to do. This is the measuring stick that we are, okay? So here we get this beautiful picture of the community coming together to rejoice. Now, can I tell you they're rejoicing not just that the sheep's home, but they can be with the shepherd, that he's not lost out there. You know, Jesus went to the cross And yet he died and gave us the Holy Spirit so that he could be with us. So we rejoice that the shepherd is here with us. And we also rejoice in the lost sheep coming in. So joy is the focus, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice with me, of this parable. And I think often we can get a little bit mixed up with what joy is. You see, the world tells us that happiness... Is when something happens to you. You get a new car, you get a spouse, you go for a party. It's something that happens. The whole world is in pursuit of happiness. Just do what makes you happy but you see that's not what joy is. Joy is a deeper inner feeling that comes from someone not something. Joy is the sustenance to your soul Often, like if I'm on the altar and I feel the presence of God, I feel myself bubbling up and laughing because I have this deep gratitude and assurance that God is with me. The Greek word is charon. It means rejoicing and gladness. This is the joy he's talking about. It's not some fleeting happiness that happens when John gives me a cake or something. It's a deep-seated sustenance for a soul. So I ask you this morning... If you're sitting here today, where are you in this story? Where are you in this story? Where's your joy? Has it got kind of diverted into a happy feeling from out there? Can I tell you, after being lost for 27 years, there's only one thing that can fill that void within, and it's the joy of the Lord. Where's your first love? Is it in joy? Is it your strength? If you're here today and you're feeling a little bit lost, can I tell you, and if you're at home and you're feeling a little bit lost, it's really easy to come back. It's just a change of direction. It's just a change of direction. So I'm going to get you to say this prayer with me if, if that's you and you're feeling it because we always need a chance to respond, right? It's not just about me speaking. If that's all it was, it's a bit empty, right? It's about a response. So if you're here today and you're feeling a bit lost, we're all going to join you and we're going to say this prayer together. Father, I'm feeling lost. Can you say it with me, church? Father, I'm feeling lost. I choose today to turn to you. Forgive me for the things that I've done and the choices I've made that have made me lost. Today, I turn to you. I need you. Come and be my Savior and Lord. Amen. And as you say that prayer, you begin a journey. If you're at home and you've said that prayer, please connect with us in the comments or message us because we would like to help you on that journey of restoration. We've got some resources for you. If you are here today and you've said that prayer, I'm going to open the altar and I'm going to get the band to come now. If you're here today and you've said that prayer, we want to rejoice with you. We want to take joy in you and celebrate with you because you've joined our family. And we want to give you some resources to help you on that journey. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, Gosh, I don't know if I'm still hoping in the same way for those lost people in my life. I just need you, Holy Spirit, to come and give me that encouragement to help me to go on and if you're concerned for a lost person we want to pray with you and if you're sitting here today and you're thinking I got a little bit of a niggle I'll tell you this little story to finish I was sitting here a couple of weeks ago and Pastor Don was speaking and he said and while all eyes are closed and all heads are bound I want you to raise your hand if you want to accept Jesus and I sat there and I thought all eyes were closed and I'm like I wonder what's for lunch I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit tired today I wonder what's for lunch and afterwards he said and invited everybody to come up on the altar and as I looked and I like to do this I like to stand at the edge and pray over the altar that God would bless his people and I saw a family standing here there was a mom dad and a son and their eyes were full of tears And there was rejoicing. And you know what? I felt so convicted in my heart because I'd let myself go into autopilot and I'd missed the moment of salvation. I'd missed it. And we can so often do that, church. And you know, there's no condemnation in Christ, He wants relationship, He doesn't want ritual. You don't tick a box by coming and maybe raising a hand in the worship, it's not about that. It's about relationship. So we keep short accounts. Sorry, Lord, forgive me. I want to just be closer to you. That's all it takes. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We pray that you would activate something in your life and shift your life towards Jesus. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, just click follow. We love you. Have a blessed week.